Let's go. I am your host, T-O-Double-D, and another episode of Random Thoughts and Best Regards starts right now. Welcome in, and I want to thank everybody for joining us this week. I was happy to come across a show on Vice TV called Abandoned, and I found it really interesting. And I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about it because the subject of the show was Six Flags New Orleans. Now, I've been to New Orleans several times in my life, uh, pre-Katrina, post-Katrina, as a Saints fan, a New Orleans Saints fan. I've been to the city multiple times. I never even knew that Six Flags New Orleans existed. And I was fascinated by this show the other day. So I did a little research uh, because I want to look more into it. And this is what I found out. Six Flags New Orleans is, was, a 140-acre theme park. And it sat off of I-10. Obviously, since it was on a show called Abandoned, the theme park has since been abandoned. So we now have a 140-acre abandoned theme park sitting off of I-10 in New Orleans, Louisiana. It opened in 2000 as Jazzland and was purchased in 2002 by Six Flags. Some of the rides that it featured were Joker's Jukebox. Boy, that is a tongue twister. Joker's Jukebox. Finally, I think I got it out that time. Catwoman's Whip. Zydeco Zinger. The Big Easy. SpongeBob SquarePants The Ride. And Yosemite Sam's Wild West Wheel, which was a giant Ferris wheel. The park was closed in 2005 and remained closed since due to damage from Hurricane Katrina. There was obviously, we all know what happened with Katrina. Uh, Levees failed all throughout the city of New Orleans and the city was submerged underwater. Uh, That's going to happen when a large portion of your city is built on swamp and is under sea level and we have a a major engineering failure of the levees that we had in 2005. So massive flooding to the theme park that was built on a swamp. And, and as you are watching the show, you see uh, this was a beautiful park. There was, there was lots of money originally spent when it opened up as Jazzland and even once Six Flags took it over, it was really a, a beautiful park. And it just suffered massive amounts of, of flooding. I mean, you could see the watermarks on the buildings. I mean, it was completely submerged, probably about uh, from the ground, from ground level to about 10 feet high, uh, you can just see markings on the wall where, where there were water levels. I mean, the, the, if you want to consider the first floor, if you want to look at the theme park as floors, uh, the first floor of the theme park was completely submerged underwater. This has now become an abandoned wildlife sanctuary uh, with the bones of a theme park. It's been taken over by gators, boars, snakes, birds, and even more wildlife. Uh, There are trees now standing where there never were trees before in the park. And it's really kind of crazy. And as you are going on a tour through the park, uh, the the guy who was hosting this show, Abandoned, on Vice TV, uh, he actually had to go with a full team uh, to support him. He obviously couldn't go in there alone, so they recommended that he have a security team go with him. And he did. He had to have animal trappers, and those animal trappers had, you know, all the necessary devices, and they also had loaded weapons uh, should they need to take down a boar or a gator or, or anything else. There was so much wildlife 
that has taken over this abandoned park and and when you think about it it's kind of a a crazy concept right like something we'd see in a movie you know you have this these bones of an old theme park a theme park skeleton so to speak and it's just ravaged by wildlife almost seems like jurassic park right like you'd expect that that has that kind of feeling uh they talked about how there is an issue with trespassing there because a lot of local kids come back and they visit uh, because the park holds a lot of memories for them and these kids now have grown up they used to go there when they were younger and they're kind of teenagers now and they're growing up and they're coming back and they're trespassing they're spray painting they're tagging they're skateboarding there uh, there's just lots of things um, going on and it made me kind of realize and they spoke about the greater issue which I guess I never really thought of that they were talking about how a lot of New Orleans was not rebuilt after Katrina there were certain parts that definitely were especially in the downtown area but some of the more outlying areas of the city of New Orleans had not been rebuilt we're talking about parks obviously we're talking about a theme park malls bowling alleys all the types of things that would keep kids out of trouble and off the streets so of course there's going to be issues with crime and everything else because these kids they don't have anything to go and do anymore they don't have anything to occupy their time so of course when you have more free idle time on your hands trouble is going to arise um and they talk about this how you see a lot of kids trespassing and coming back to the park because the park was special to them and they want to relive those old memories it's something that makes them feel good they've been through so much Uh, with Katrina and and everything else going on in New Orleans you know Katrina and then I also believe they're hit pretty hard by Hurricane Rita so there's there's been a lot that has happened there Uh, these kids kind of find the park as as we call it a wildlife sanctuary but they almost kind of find it like a sanctuary so there's a big issue with trespassing and then they also have a lot of tourists who will come specifically uh, and drive by and kind of line the shoulders of the highway of I-10 to take photos of the abandoned park. It's a it's a very big uh, photo op for people when they're visiting New Orleans. Um, the park now is currently owned by the Industrial Development Board of New Orleans, and Mayor Latoya Cantrell is targeting demolition of the park. She's again she, in 2019. This was a big platform of hers, um, but a wrecking ball has yet to show up yet for the park. Part of that reason is there is a price tag of 1.3 million dollars to demolish the park so it's going to cost a pretty penny to have that taken care of the abandoned park is a subject of a documentary titled closed for the storm by jake williams which hopefully will hit distributors soon he was hoping to shop it at film festivals but obviously the pandemic and covid 19 kind of hampered that plan Um, but he does have other plans for the documentary to hopefully get it uh, onto a streaming service. Uh, Jake Williams refers to the park as one of the largest monuments to the horror of Katrina, and he spent $45,000 of his own money on the documentary. And as I mentioned earlier, Williams is hoping to get the doc on Netflix or Amazon Prime, and I'm really looking forward to that. I hope this uh, documentary sees the light of day because again just the the show on vice tv was very interesting and again i knew nothing about this park so i love when i stumble across something that educates me
So there was a lot of things that took place and happened while we were on our two-week summer break, and uh, we'll try to get through a lot of them as best that we can. Like I said, today's show was was and is very full, um, but one of them that I definitely wanted to talk about was the fact that on June 29th, comedic legend Carl Reiner passed away. Mr. Reiner first attracted national attention in 1950 as Sid Caesar's multi-talented second banana on the television variety show Your Show of Shows. Uh, Reiner was a writer for that show, and decades later, he created The Dick Van Dyke Show, one of the most celebrated situational comedies in television history. And this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to, aside from his legacy, but on a personal note, why I wanted to talk about Carl Reiner today. Because I, it, you kind of get the feeling, even if you're new to the show, if, if you know me for a long time, you definitely know that I'm somewhat of a sitcom historian and a sitcom junkie. I, I just, I love situational comedy. I love comedic television. Um, we all know my love for Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, but it, it goes cheaper than it goes cheaper. It goes deeper than that. Um, you know, Cheers, Frasier, uh, Big Bang Theory, uh, I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Carol Burnett Show. Um, so so much of that um, kind of has formulated the way I even uh, approach comedy and entertainment on this show uh, and the Dick Van Dyke show was definitely one of those I loved that show uh, and, and as far as you know obviously the Dick Van Dyke show was on from I think it was 61 to 66 so clearly I wasn't alive then but much like the comedies that I fell in love with as a child I watched in reruns and that was the odd couple the Carol Burnett show um you know, I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Carol Burnett was actually still airing actual, like, weekly episodes when I was I was alive for that one. Um, but The Odd Couple, I Love Lucy, uh, Dick Van Dyke Show, definitely, you know, were reruns for me. Uh, and I just, I, I fell in love with that brand of comedy. And, you know, Carl Reiner was the writer for that. And he brought The Dick Van Dyke Show to life. And, you know, I... I Dick Van Dyke and um, you know Mary Mary Tyler Moore uh, I just ate it up as a kid and even now as an adult you know and, and just as a true testament to Mr. Reiner's legacy and, and this is this is no BS when I tell you this story the other night I was watching an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show and it was colorized it, it was one that was colorized now obviously when it aired it was black and white but they had colorized this episode so my son is sitting watching with me and he says to daddy he says to me daddy is this Seinfeld because he's used to me watching Seinfeld a lot to be honest um and I said no I said you know this is the Dick Van Dyke show which I expected to go over his head like a plane I didn't expect him to I just said no this is the Dick Van Dyke show he goes oh okay and he sat there and he watched it and you know he was laughing and, and laughing and then you know the show ended and he says to me are there more coming on and I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, is there another one? Is there another episode coming on next? And I said, oh, no. And I said, why? And he goes, because I like it. I want to watch more episodes. So, um, you know, there you go right there, Carl Reiner. There is a uh, another generation finds you 
and your writing and your show funny. So you will continue to live on. Your legacy will continue to live on. Uh, you know, and and that there's no BS when I tell. That is a true story. Just the other night, I was watching the Dick Van Dyke show with my son, and he loved it and he wanted to watch it more and I thought how befitting in that moment and I knew I was going to talk about Carl Reiner on, on this week's show but in that moment I thought you know how could I not like I, I mean just the impact that he's had on me and then just to know that you know his legacy is safe with another generation um, it's just a beautiful thing uh, a little more on his career that I can I can delve into here um, he he did many things in television, obviously, and most people know his success and think of him, you know, sort of hand in hand with Mel Brooks and the hugely successful 2,000-year-old man records. Um, he had a novel, Enter Laughing. It became both a Broadway hit play and the first of many movies he would direct. Um, there were four movies with Steve Martin, um, you know, he was in Ocean's Eleven as an actor. Um, you know, he also, uh, he did The Jerk with Steve Martin. So there was so much to his legacy. And uh, again, it will continue to live on through his work. It's, it's sad. Um, you know, his son, Rob Reiner, obviously, we know if you're, you know, you know his success, not just from, from All in the Family. Uh, you know, he was meathead on All in the Family, but you know, he's also had a, a brilliant career, um, and it's it's just it's sad. Um, but again, at 98 years old, and he had just posted a photo the other day. So if he died, I want to say so he died on the 29th. I believe it was either it could have actually been on my birthday. It was either my birthday or the day before my birthday. He posted a photo on his social media sitting with Mel Brooks and they both had Black Lives Matters shirts on and I segue into this because this is one thing that I found amazing about Carl Reiner so obviously the fact that he posted this photo just a few days before he died and he looked happy and relaxed you you know that this was more than likely just a, uh, a natural passing for him at the age of 98. So didn't seem to be a lot of suffering or, or pain involved in that. So that seemed to be a, a peaceful uh, end to his journey here on Earth. Um, but the other reason why I found the photo and the posting on Twitter poignant is because that's one thing I admire so much about Reiner is... For a man his age, at 98 years old, if you followed him, you would know the grasp and the understanding that he had on social media is amazing to me for somebody his age, okay? He understood social media and social issues so well, it was amazing. He was such an activist. And he used social media as his vehicle, and it was brilliant for a man in his 90s. I mean, think about that. Think about, you know, if you have a grandparent or a great-grandparent who's in their 90s, are they active on social media? Uh, Carl Reiner was, and he was brilliant about it. I mean, he did things. 
he wanted people to vote. He wanted people to get out and vote. Um, you know, uh, there there was one from a few years ago, and again, this isn't just an overnight thing. He's been doing this for a couple years now. Um, there were there was one a few years ago where uh, he posted a photo of himself taking a knee, and it was during the whole Colin Kaepernick brouhaha uh, that's so prevalent today. But at that point, he took a knee and he said, "I kneel with you." Um, you know, he posted that on social media, like. He was just uh, so amazing, and his daughter Anne posted something the other day, and you know it was to the effect. I don't have it in front of me, um, so I obviously don't want to misquote, but it was pretty much to the effect that her dad would have liked to see nothing more than an end to this current presidency, and her dad would like to stress nothing more to people than they need to go and vote in November. So if they want to honor her father's legacy, go and vote and make change at the polls in November. So, you know, there's so much that we could talk about for, for about Carl Reiner. And, you know, I may not be the most eloquent at surmising or, or encapsulating his career because there was just so much of it. Um, but again, just a, a brilliant, a brilliant mind for comedy. Um, and you know he he achieved so much success with that. Uh, his his work with Steve Martin, his work with Dick Van Dyke, uh, just as situational comedies, whether it be sitcom or movie, was just brilliant, and, and it was so entertaining. Uh, his stuff with Mel Brooks, you know, God God bless him. I always think of that episode of Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld, where he goes and he's having lunch. Um, you know, with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, and you know, it's something they do every day. They would sit, and I feel bad for Mel Brooks now because he's kind of he, he just lost his best friend here. Um, but they would sit every day, and you know, they would have their deli sandwiches or they would have their dinner and they would watch Jeopardy together. That was their thing, and they would literally think of two guys in Barker lounges or easy chairs with the little foldable, foldable tables, you know, sitting there having dinner playing Jeopardy, uh, two great comedic minds, and, you know, um, it's, it's sad, you know, it's, it's a big loss, but at the age of 98 years old, it's, it's a beautiful life, and his legacy will live on, like I said, hand to God, my son was watching an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show with me the other night, and he was talking about how funny it was, and he wanted to watch more episodes of it, so, you know, Carl's legacy won't go anywhere soon. You know, he may have left us on this earth, but uh, his legacy is in good hands, and uh, we thank him for all the laughter through all the years. Right now on Random Thoughts and Best Regards, I would like to pick up where we left off in our last episode with part two of our conversation with Cassandra Ariel. In this segment, we start off with me asking Cassandra the question, what does she do when she attends a con? Here we go. Enjoy this special spotlight and our conversation with Cassandra. So I go to the cons. Um, a lot of people go to cons for different reasons, for the artists, for the 
uh, vendors, for the speakers, for the guests, for the cosplays. My main reason that I go is for first the artwork and the cosplay. I love going to see everybody's cosplays and I love showing off my cosplays. It's just really fun to just literally wander around for hours and seeing all these crazy, awesome costumes. Can you explain a little more for our listeners who might maybe be like me, who may not know exactly what cons are? And, and when I say cons, obviously, I'm, I'm going to rattle off the only ones. I'm sure there's more, but like a mega con, a comic con, a dragon con. What are they for those who may not know? So every listening? con is different. Um, cons aren't just one thing. It's not just uh, Megacon or Comic-Con, they also have cons that are just for Star Wars or ones that are just for for books or they have ones that are all-encompassing and ones that are very specific, but all of them always have the same kind of basic elements of an artist alley, which is where all of the artists sell all of their artwork and things they've made, and then a vendor section, which is where you can buy all kinds of goods everything from action figures to D dice to books to costume pieces literally anything you can think of they'll have it in the vendor section and then you have the guest speakers who are experts in their fields who will come and give panels on things like armor building or uh, stage combat oh, nice. or you know writers okay. things for writers then you have the guest stars who can be anything from it depends i guess on the con because they have cons for burlesque and they have cons just for makeup and they have cons just for hair um it's become something really big um but the guest stars a lot of times at uh cons like megacon or dragon con or san diego comic con will be um stars from movies television shows like uh jason momoa was one that i got a chance to meet um oh nice yeah, um, and then they have big open areas where people can show off their costumes. They also have uh, workshops, and they'll have costume contests and after parties, during parties. Have you ever been to Comic-Con in San Diego? I have not been to San Diego Comic-Con. Um, it's very tricky to get tickets to. You actually have to. Uh, it's very specific. Hey, there's a Big Bang Theory episode Yeah, where you have that. to wait in the waiting room <laughs> to get a chance to get a ticket. Okay. You have to get yeah. a code. It's very difficult to get into. Um, I have a bunch okay. of friends who go every year. I was actually planning on going this year with them, even though I didn't have this tickets, because there's a lot to do outside of the ticketed part. Um, it was, you know, it, it was crazy. Last year, I was out there the week before Comic-Con uh, in San Diego, and my son and my best friend, we were... We were walking around San Diego. We were down at the harbor and everything. People dressed up and out and about just walking around. And it was a week before Comic-Con was even going to start. So it was pretty amazing. And again, the costumes, sometimes you just kind of got to marvel at them. Because again, a lot of them are homemade. And just the ingenuity behind it is really you know, cool. So many people spend so many hours in making their cosplays that this is the time not just on instagram or tiktok or facebook to show people mm-hmm. in real life to see what it's like close up and that's another thing i forgot to mention that i want to make a real point of that some people get shamed for buying costumes and mm-hmm. nobody should ever feel ashamed of buying a costume you are a cosplayer when you put on a costume and you go out and you play this character you have fun with this character because not everyone has the funds because cosplay is expensive. Not everyone has sure. the skills, the talent, or the want to make their own costumes. And sometimes people get shamed for mm. buying them. There is no shame. 
in buying your costumes rather than making them. I'm a very big advocate of that. Everyone can cosplay. Anyone That's... can cosplay. It doesn't matter your size. It doesn't matter your orientation, your color. Everyone is a cosplayer if they want to be. It, it sounds to me like it's a lot about having fun. Yes, that's what it's a lot about having fun, and it's a lot of creativity. And like you said, there should be no no shame in your game as long yeah, as you're having fun. Yeah, think about it. We're all dressing up as characters. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> hey, hey, my character. Every <laughs> like, morning I get up. Um, give me. Uh, it might be Jason Momoa, but give me your best con experience. My best con experience. Okay. <laughs> this <laughs> this one is very. Um, we. Okay, so Dragon Con. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the hesitation and the well, pauses. I just go ahead. The, the it, floor it is involved, yours. you know, uh, an adult beverage, like the adult beverages. So I, okay. I don't know what your audience is. You know, Cassandra, because it's it's perfectly fine. You know, you. I'll be brutally honest because I don't mind pulling back the curtain. Sometimes you asked about the recording time for to do the show, and basically all I needed was enough time to get home from work and have a shot of whiskey and get behind Great. the microphone. So I no 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 shame in you. No shame okay. in you having a beverage. So this is at Dragon Con. Dragon Con is my absolute favorite con of all time. It is known okay. lovingly. And that is just so our listeners know geographically. That's in Atlanta, yes, in am Atlanta. I right? Or um, in Georgia. It takes okay. place over okay. five different hotels, a bunch of different buildings. Basically, the whole the whole area down that little spot downtown is completely taken over okay. by the con. It is known lovingly as the Party Con because it is a twenty four hour con, and I cannot stress enough when I say that when this con starts on Thursday, it does not end until Monday. Um, so. Is it? I don't mean to interrupt you. Uh, is it twenty four hours? Like I, I realize when you say twenty four hours, that can mean a lot of things. But are like sessions twenty four hours too? It just or does not. Like s- you mean more like after parties? It does gotcha. not stop. Okay. Yes. Um, gotcha. There are gotcha. DJs in the lobbies, which all of them are multi level lobbies um, that are playing okay. at all hours. And you could. There are parties. All of the parties, <laughs> for the most part, are free. There's, there's a lot of tickets. When, at that point, when in Rome, do as the yes, Romans, right? Yes, it is. Uh, Not going to sleep anyway. It is definitely an experience. It is my favorite con okay. for sure. It's one. Of, it's one of the biggest I've been to. There are bigger ones, but this okay. one's a big one. Um, so this night we um, we had these giant Pac-Man ghost costumes that you put an umbrella open underneath of it, and the ghost kind of falls around you. And what we did was we imbibed in a few adult beverages. And then we, in a line of Pac-Man ghosts, went to each hotel and crashed all of the giant dance parties. And it was quite an experience. Yes. Did you did you stay in a line like the, the yes, Pac-Man ghosts and move? We yes. stayed in the line and then we gathered in the center for like our own so protection. And then we just mm-hmm. were wiggling and bobbing in the dance party and we were quite the sensation and then we would leave in a line to go all the a lot of the hotels are connected by bridges like sky bridge kind of things so we would go through to the next big old dance party and you know we had our dragon con flasks with us and it was it was a night it was my favorite night for sure nice nice that that, but i will say in a more wholesome uh note my other one was as megara meeting susan egan and having her get very excited over my costume genuinely that, that's got yeah that's got to be cool too that's got definitely had to be a great feeling for you um what is next what is the next big challenge what is a holy grail for cassandra what is what is the the 
what's next in the world of cosplay? Well, I am work starting on my next uh, kind of big build, which is one that I have always wanted to do, basically since I started cosplaying forever. And I will be doing uh, Darth Talon from the extended Star Wars universe. Uh, she is a Twilight Sith, and it involves a lot of uh, body painting and um, okay. bits of armor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, very excited with that to partner with um, some of my very very talented body paint artist friends um, Dragon Con since Megan Con was cancelled is going to be my next con however with everything that's going on uh, in the world right now I'm not quite sure uh, if I would be going on. yeah I wouldn't hold your breath on a lot of things yeah. right now but <laughs> I'm trying to be optimistic no here, with, but... with cons this year I'm kind of for the most part kind of thrown in the towel um people are always from my experience have been very respectful um but people do have a tendency to get excited when they see their favorite characters and run up and just get really close and which i love but um oh yeah i guess that could be a yeah, challenge um i didn't think that's about another that yeah. thing uh mm-hmm. that i had mentioned there are some not a lot of like there shouldn't be a whole lot of rules to cosplay, but one of the big ones when it comes to is, okay. uh, that I want to make sure is said here is that cosplay is not consent. Um, that is something. Yeah, thank you. Because honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because I uh, didn't even think about it till you brought it up. And yeah, I could see how that could be somewhat of a yeah. That's, issue. that's something that is big in the community that um, cosplay mm-hmm. is not consent. That just because someone is dressed as what you view as a sexy or revealing character does not mean you have the consent to touch them which a lot of people do uh sometimes unconsciously you know hand around the waist touching or even touching your costume without Mm -hmm. being invited to um that's a big thing that sometimes people in their excitement for a character or just Mm -hmm. they don't think about Oh, my cat's meowing at the door. Sorry. (laughs) What's your cat's name? My cat's name name is uh, Dr. Harleen Quinzel. Uh, Harley Quinn, (laughs) or just Harley for short. You can finish your... I didn't mean to distract you from the whole... But if you say you got a cat... I distracted myself with my cat. Um, But yeah, that's just something (laughs) that... um, We're on the topic of cosplay that is a very um, big deal. That if it's your first con, if you've never gone before, that just know that you'll be looked after if you ever feel uncomfortable uh, at any point and that if you're going just remember that cosplay is not consent just because they are yeah. in something revealing or you think they're sexy does not give you permission to touch absolutely what is do you have a favorite ugh, favorite comic book or anime series oh, no. or is there is there anything that oh. i am a weeb so if you bring up <gasps> anime we will be here for a while um, I will say one of my next anime cosplays is going to be from Hunter x Hunter, and I will be doing Isoka. Uh, all right, I, I'm, if, I will, I will probably, uh, you'll probably be disappointed in me. You'll probably want to hang up on me. You'll probably realize how old I am, but I will be very honest with you. I only know one <laughs> anime, and it's just because my friends made me watch it last year. And it's One hey, Punch. Hey, One Punch is great. And I'm told, I'm told, I, they keep telling me that I will say his name, which is, I believe, Saitama. And I'll probably not let them hear this part of the podcast because I always tell them I will just refer to him as <laughs> One Punch and not Saitama. Um, but yeah, that's the only 
anime I know. So I'm sure whoever you're talking about is really cool. But could you explain it a little more? Explain who Hisoka is. <laughs> sure. Just you not. You don't have to no, go deep. It's okay. Just, um, just for the uneducated Todd sitting on the, it's the other end is a, of the whole spectrum. A funny <laughs> character to explain because um, Hunter X Hunter, in short, uh, they are um, basically, I guess you call them monster hunters, and they um, okay. they have different abilities. I don't want to get into all of the details on it because I will be here for hours. But he is <laughs> a um, he's a kind of a clown looking magician bungee gum user I, oh my god I'm so bad he's very oddly <laughs> attractive for no reason but he also is very into fighting whoever is the most powerful and the most powerful one happens to be a 12 year old boy I'm, and I'm about to google this shit right after we get off this, a lot. <laughs> this recording with a shame in my eyes I say that he is one of my favorites it's very hard to Fair. he's very hard to describe if you don't know anything about me. Gotcha. Gotcha. You've done <laughs> no, well? No, I have not. I don't feel like I mean, I'm a terrible judge. So I wouldn't be able to but tell you. But you've done well. You a, a short list um, of then to distract you of my favorite animes. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Hunter x Hunter. Fairy Tale. Black Clover. Inuyasha. Is that enough distraction? <laughs> sure, that's well, just well, look at well what Hisoka looks like. Um, That's enough. <laughs> okay. All right. Is there anything that I've missed or anything else that you want to add on about cosplay that the general world who may be kind of on the outside um, looking in should? Know? I feel like sometimes popular media um, makes cosplay seem like it is um, a bunch of gross, sweaty nerd losers. And it is not. It is a community of people who are doing what they love, who are creating and sharing and making a safe place for people. Um, there are every body type that you can possibly think of cosplaying every single character you've ever seen. There are people of every color cosplaying anything. And it's just a beautiful world of like-minded individuals and it's really great to see how more mainstream it's becoming that more people are feeling comfortable and with doing it and not feeling like they're the outcast or they're the loser I'm doing air quotes because it bothers me mm -hmm. um, who the hell cares what other yeah, people think right? I, mean, it's... I know I realize it takes people a while that people sometimes longer than others to get to that point in life yeah. but really if you like it and you enjoy it it took me forever care? to get what there but I'm like? so happy I'm there and it's just I mean ages too you see everyone from little teeny tiny kids with their parents cosplaying to people who are in their mm -hmm. 70s and 80s cosplaying and it's just all walks of life it's just amazing to see so many different people all coming together and one of my favorite things to see is when you see someone who clearly has a lot of skills who has made this incredible version of this character see someone who is someone who looks like they maybe they've never cosplayed before this is their first try at a costume and you see this person in this crazy amazing costume run over to that other one and fangirl over them and say oh my gosh you're this character too we're both the same character let's get a picture together and it's it doesn't it doesn't matter like if that person has mm -hmm. you know a store-bought version or one that they made their first try on versus someone who has all the skills and time and money to make this costume they just get so excited to see their own character and i just i love mm -hmm. seeing that so much 
So if you're nervous to cosplay, if you've never cosplayed before, don't worry. You're going to be surrounded by people who will support you and by people who are going to be excited to see you and they're going to lift you up. They will not bring you down. And if they do, message me. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to plug before I let you get out of here? Uh... No, I mean, if you're, if you want to check out my Instagram or my TikTok. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm is, looking for. Um, let them, let them, let them know so they can go look at your stuff. Cause you do some, you do some great work and I, and I know you have lots of photos of um, my Instagram is at Cassandra cosplays, which is just my name. C-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A cosplays, C-O-S-P-L-A-Y-S. And my TikTok is the same. Um, I'm really appreciating TikTok, to be honest, because it's a chance for me to bring my characters to life, which is really cool. And as an actor, <laughs> it's I, I'm enjoying it a little more than Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very, very nice. Well, I thank you for enlightening me and, and educating me. Um, I have no bones when I don't know something <laughs> about something, about going to the experts and, and being educated on it. Knowledge is power, and I love learning about it. And honestly, it sounds like a really cool community. Um, so I definitely appreciate you coming on and spending the time to talk to us on random thoughts and best regards about yeah. cosplay and uh, maybe down the road uh, you know apparently you just heard it I need a lot of education <laughs> on anime so maybe we'll have you back on down the road and we can talk yes about anime. please alright Cassandra thank you so much for joining us stay safe and stay healthy you out too. there okay alright we'll talk to you soon be good All right, I'd like to go ahead and take a few minutes now to discuss leadership. It's somewhat of a hot topic lately, especially in the world that we're living in with the pandemic and the race issues stemming from George Floyd's murder in Minnesota. So I wanted to go ahead and talk about leadership because I think it is an important skill. Uh, And it's definitely a skill that I've had to work on in my lifetime. And I finally feel like I've gotten to a good groove with it. Um, There are some skills to leadership that are innate and some people just have and they don't have, but then there's other skill sets when it comes to leadership that you have to polish. And I've learned that as I've, I've gone along in my leadership roles. So to me, a leader helps themselves and others to do the right things, right? You set a direction, you build a vision, and you create. I've always said leadership is about a path, or if you want to call it a map, that leads a team to winning as a team. So how do you accomplish that is the question, right? If you're developing a path or a map of success for your team to win and win as a unit, how do you go about this? I feel a leader must set direction and use their management skills to guide people in the right direction. Sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it's a push. Sometimes it's a gentle nudge. But you need to use your your skills to guide people in the right direction. As a leader, it then becomes my responsibility to identify my team members' individual strengths and skills and put them in scenarios where those skills 
are going to shine. And in the same vein, that will further push the team's success. So now, how do you do that? Or or how do I do that? Well, for me, it's very simple. It's by observing, watching, learning, and taking risk. That's how I achieve this. So what I mean by this is if I'm, if I'm leading a team and say I have a scenario where I have a guy who's really good at doing handheld camera on concerts, but maybe not so good at doing uh, projection or projection mapping. Well, clearly, I'm going to put that guy in a position where he can shine, and that's on handheld camera in a concert series that's that's where he's going to shine and then I'm going to take the other person who's good at projection and projection mapping and put them in a scenario where their skill set is going to shine and overall that's going to make us better as a team now of course the expectation is for everybody to learn all the skill sets involved in our job and be able to fill those skill sets if needed and if called upon I'm still going to need you to step up and do other things But point being, if you really like doing one thing and it makes our team look really good, I'm going to go to you on that. You're going to be my go-to guy. But again, the expectation is that we're going to cultivate the rest of the team to eventually be able to do that. But I'm going to look and assess, observe, and find out what your strengths and weaknesses are and play to them. Why would I play to your weaknesses? That's not a recipe for success, right? Of course I'm going to play to your strengths. So that's one thing I do. I get to know my team. I get to find their strengths. I'm, I'm honest with them about expectations of, yes, I expect you to do all these other roles, but you're really good at this role, so I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna allow you to lead us in this specific role and allow the team to shine because of your skill set. I have to listen, that's key. I have to listen to my team. I have to let them vent. I have to appreciate their experiences and also appreciate their backgrounds because that's what makes them who they are. And if I ignore all that, then I'm not doing justice to them and I'm not doing justice to myself and ultimately I'm not doing justice to the team. So if I listen to my team, I allow them to vent to me, I appreciate their experience and their background, that allows for them to make contributions and then they feel a part of the team. And that's key. When you are when you are allowing your team, as the leader, when you're allowing your team to make contributions, it helps their self-esteem because they feel they are actually a part of the team and they can see their thoughts, their concepts, their ideas become an integral part of the success. I personally cannot ask any more of a man or woman than what they can deliver. So identifying that is key. And that's what I talked about earlier. Identifying what they can deliver and what their specialty is is key for me. And I want to use that to our advantage as a team. You can learn a lot about your team just by observing them. That is, that is really key. You can learn a lot just by observing. It's, it's like the raptors in Jurassic Park, right? I always use that example. They watch and they learn. And they learn how to turn that door handle, right? It's, observation is key. Trust and motivation are also key, uh, and it's a big one. I strive to be tough but fair with my team. You must set benchmarks and goals while being realistic. You can, it can't just be a party. It can't always just be a laugh and giggles and a ha-ha. You have to set 
benchmarks for them and you have to reach them and then you ha- you have to ultimately achieve goals but you have to be realistic you can't shoot for the moon when you're under equipped you have to look at what you have look at the skill sets look at the resources that are at your disposal and then set realistic benchmarks and goals for your team to meet and you have to hold them accountable you have to have fun as well but there can there's time for fun and then there's time for work i always say there's time for laughing and giggling and then there's time to get serious and when i need you to get serious then we need to be serious because that means it's time so again setting benchmarks and setting goals are huge Another key for me, and this is a huge one, it it truly is, is decision making. A team will look to you for that as a leader. You are in the position of leader. Even if they have ideas, ultimately, you're the one that they're going to look to, to make a decision. And I've always said, me personally, and I've learned this through time. I didn't always know this, but I learned this through time. I'd rather make what I feel is the best decision possible in that moment and be wrong than flounder in indecisiveness because if you flounder in indecisiveness that shows your team a sign of weakness that shows your team that you're not really sure of your skill set and you're not really sure of your decision making ability so why should they throw their support behind you if you're not sure why should they be sure so I think it's key that you have to be able to make a decision in the moment the best possible decision in that moment even if it's wrong you just you make it and that's better than floundering in indecision. But a large caveat to that is, and this is where people struggle with this. When you do that, when you do that, you have to take ownership if you're wrong. If you're wrong, if you make a decision and you're wrong, you have to say, hey, listen, man, that's on me. It's not on the team. It's on me. In that moment, with the information I had, I made what I thought was the best decision to give this thing a go. And I was wrong. In hindsight now, would I do it differently? Sure. But I didn't have the things at my disposal at that time that I know now to make a decision. And instead of standing there and being indecisive with the information I had in front of me, I made what I thought was the best, safest, and smartest decision at that time. That ownership is key. If you don't take that ownership to it, then you're going to fail, ultimately. I mean, that that's that's just key you're going you're going to fail so ownership is huge and you can't throw your team under the bus you you have to own it you as the leader have to own it i've developed what i feel are five keys to leadership and i've already kind of discussed them somewhat but i'm going to go ahead and break them down to you now the first key is sincerity and this can't be faked your enthusiasm has to be sincere. Your, your love for your job, your passion for your team, your sincerity to them has to be legit. It can't be fake because you know what? People will read right through it. I've been in so many positions now where I've had an insincere leader and you could sniff it out like, no, it's simple. It's simple. The older you get, the easier it is to sniff out an insincere person, especially when you've been in an industry for a long amount of time and you have experience. You can sniff out that insincere person right away. So sincerity is huge. Your team has to know you're real. Your team has to know you're legit and your team has to know you're real. The second one is integrity. 
integrity is huge, man. If you've got, if you don't have integrity, you have nothing. If you don't, I mean that, and that just, that's not being a leader. That's just through life, man. If you don't have integrity, then what do you have? Uh, it's huge. And what I mean by integrity is I'll give you a couple examples, proper credit. That's a sign of integrity with the leader, proper credit. You, your team takes the win. Absolutely. But if somebody came up with an idea, you say, hey, we wouldn't have been able to achieve this if so-and-so didn't have this great idea in this meeting two weeks ago. Or you say, hey, listen, I can't take credit for this. It was my team that worked the, you know, four hours of overtime to get this done and get the show off the ground. Like, those are the types of things you have to give proper credit. You can't stand there and say, I did it. I fixed this. I... I did this. I, you know, we we had a problem and I did it. I did it. I did it. I, 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 I. Because then it just sounds like it's you. And it sounds like your team is worthless and your team's going to feel worthless. It has to be a we, they, us type mentality. We, they, us, not I. It's proper credit to the people who, who put the hours in and put the elbow grease and the sweat into it. Acknowledging mistakes. I talked about that earlier, man. Ownership. Ownership is huge. You have to acknowledge your mistakes. If you're a leader and you mess up, you have to own that as the leader. You cannot throw your team under the bus because they'll never trust you. And once trust is out the window, you've lost. And you've lost. You're not, you're not going to get that back. It is so hard to get that back. So acknowledging mistakes is huge. Safety, again, same thing. Don't put your team in a dangerous situation just to get something done. Be safe. Be smart your team will appreciate you so much more if you're looking out for their best interest. You know, they, they have lives, they have families, they have so many other things. It's not worth injuring them in a, in a position where it has a long time effect on their life outside of work. So safety is huge and quality is huge. And that's what I, I talked about earlier, setting expectations. You have to set benchmarks, you have to set goals, and there has to be expectations for quality. I expect it not to be shit. I expect our work to look good. I expect people to see our work and say wow that's impressive i don't expect them to look at it and say eh all right but i've seen better you have to expect quality number three is communication this is no secret leaders must motivate instruct and discipline it's that simple if you want that map or that path that i talked about to winning as a team it's on the leader to motivate, instruct, and discipline. Fourth, decisiveness. Decision-making, right? You see that circle, it just keeps coming back around. Decisiveness, if I'm indecisive, my team's not gonna get behind me. They're not gonna be able to throw their support or their vote into my ideas if I'm indecisive. If I make a decision and say, all right guys, this is what we're gonna do, I might be wrong here, but based off the information, based off of talking to you guys, this is what I feel is best in the moment. Let's go ahead and do it. You're more likely to get them behind you than if you're like, well, gosh, golly, gee, I don't know. Should we wait till this or that? Or I should really talk to Bob before I do this. Or I don't know how Mary's going to feel about that. Or, you know, the sun is in the third quadrant and maybe we should wait until it's in the fourth quadrant. Or you know, gee, no, it's, all right, 
based off of what I got in front of me, man, this, this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to make you guys stand around all night. Let's, let's go with this plan. Let's get it done. You're more likely to find that you will get your team support and they will rally behind you. Even if you're wrong, they'll rally behind you because you know what? In that moment, you're taking the ownership and the responsibility to say, hey, all right, guys, listen, I'm not perfect, but this is what I got. So who's with me? They'll appreciate that more than indecisiveness. So uh, decisiveness is, is a fourth key, and, and that's huge. And the fifth one is simple. It's empowerment. I mean, let's be honest. As, as an employee or as a worker or, or anything, who feels good when they feel like their leader doesn't have any faith in them? Faith in, in your team's ability is key. And you have to have also faith in yourself to train and develop, right? You have to be able to train and develop your team. You have to have, you have to believe and have faith in their ability. And then you have to have faith in your own ability to train and develop them. So if you show faith in their ability, faith in training and development, that shows a willingness to empower those right so and then when somebody feels empowered what will they do they'll act more autonomously which is what you want you want to have a team where you can believe that if you're not there they're still going to make the right decisions because of your training your development and your faith in them so they will act autonomously they will not stand around in that indecisiveness that i talked about earlier and say well gosh i really we really need to wait till todd gets here to find out yes there may be certain things that for legal reasons or whatever safety reasons or whatever they still have to run through me but on those that don't fit those parameters i want them to feel that they are competent enough and they are strong enough and they have been under my leadership tree long enough that they can act autonomously and they can make the right decision. And that all comes through autonomy and empowerment. And the only way they get that autonomy is by empowering them. So those are my five keys for leadership. Again, one is sincerity, two, integrity, three, communication, four, decisiveness, and five, empowerment. The key to successful leadership today is influence not authority so there you have it that's my feelings on leadership it is certainly a subject that has been a hot topic lately and I think it is a subject that a lot of people need to take a look in the mirror and get a deeper understanding of leadership and what that word and what that definition is Transmission interrupted. The road to genius is paved with fumble footing and bumping. Anyone who falls flat on his face is at least moving in the right direction. Well, well come on, Big Daddy. Give us the word. Protocol engaged.
declassification initiated. Transmission resumed. So while we were away on our brief summer vacation on Random Thoughts and Best Regards, there were a lot of cool days encompassed in that break. Father's Day, of course, my birthday, 4th of July, and then quite possibly my second favorite pop culture holiday right behind Festivus. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about July 1st, Bobby Bonilla Day. I really do think this is my second favorite pop culture holiday right behind Festivus. Uh, it is a day to celebrate Bobby Bo Dizzle and his amazing baseball deal. And it is a day that uh, Mets fans rejoice? Question mark? Um, let's look at it this way. At least it gives the Mets some attention every year, right? Because that's about the only way they're getting it. Um, Bobby Bonilla Day, July 1st. Every year up until I believe 2035 so for those who do not understand what Bobby Bonilla Day is or or may not be familiar first of all Bobby Bonilla was a outfielder for the New York Mets Uh, a lot of people I think would remember him from his Pittsburgh Pirate days he was teamed up with Barry Bonds and uh, he and Bonds made some great runs uh, with those Pirate teams along with Andy Van Slyke and some others Uh, but later on in his career Bobby Bonilla found himself a pretty sweet spot on the New York Mets and had a nice contract. What happened, though, is as Bobby's career began to wind down in 2000, the New York Mets agreed to buy out the remaining $5.9 million on Bobby Bo's contract. However, instead of paying Bobby the $5.9 million at the time, the Mets agreed, <laughs> and, and listen to this, I can repeat it if you want because you might not get it the first time, the Mets agreed to make annual payments of nearly $1.2 million for 25 years starting July 1st, 2011, including a negotiated 8% interest. Let me run that back for you one more time. The Brain Trust of the New York Metropolitans decided that instead of paying Bobby Bonilla $5.9 million in a one-time lump sum payout in 2000, decided that it would be better to make annual payments of nearly $1.2 million for 25 years starting July 1st, 2011, including a negotiated 8% interest. The story just keeps getting better. At that time, Mets ownership was invested in a Bernie Madoff account that promised double-digit returns, and the Mets were poised to make a significant profit if the Madoff account delivered. But as we all know, that did not work out. 
And I immediately, when I hear this story or when I think about this, I automatically go back to longtime Mets fan, Jerry Seinfeld. And I think of the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where they do the Seinfeld reunion inside of Curb. (laughs) And George gets screwed on a Ponzi scheme by Bernie Madoff. And I just see the scene of George sitting there saying, Madoff! Uh, every time I hear this Bobby Bonilla story for Bobby Bonilla Day, I, I, I picture, uh, you know, people from the New York Mets just sitting there going, Madoff! Um, it, it's, it's crazy. Bobby Bonilla last played for the Mets in 1999 and last played in the majors for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2001. But he will be paid through 2035. So I was right originally at the top of the segment. I said, I, I believe... Bobby Bonilla Day will continue until 2020, 2035, when Bobby Bo will be 72 years old. This is just an amazing, like I said, this is legitimately my favorite, second favorite pop culture holiday behind Festivus. I mean, Bobby Bonilla Day is just a special day to revel in the awesomeness of the New York Mets and the, uh, for lack of a better term, awesomeness of Bernie Madoff Ponzi schemes. And uh, and you know what? Credit to Bobby Bonilla, man. This is a sweet deal. I mean, the Mets could have Mets could have dropped in a bucket, paid out that five million, moved on, and and wiped their hands. Bobby Bow really leveraged himself into a great spot. The one thing that I didn't know in researching this is Bobby's contract is not that odd. Um, But what I think some other people missed in this, because we always focus on the Mets payment, um, Bobby Bow has a second deferred deferred contract plan with the Mets and the Orioles. And that pays him five thousand a year for twenty for twenty five years, and that began in two thousand and four. So not only does he have that original one that pays him uh, that started in two thousand eleven and pays him to through twenty thirty five for roughly one point two million a year, Bobby Bo is getting a second deferred contract plan uh, with the Mets and the Orioles that pays him five hundred thousand a year. For 25 years, and those payments began in 2004. Um, the Mets, man, I, I guess they're gluttons for punishment because they also have a deal with Brett Saberhagen, where uh, Saberhagen receives uh, 250 thousand a year from the Mets for 25 years, and those payments also began in 2004 as well. So it's just really crazy. Uh, some other ones that are out there, um, Manny Ramirez will collect 24.2 million. Uh, in total from the Boston Red Sox through 2026. So uh, he's got six years remaining on that payout. It, it's just, it's really crazy. Uh, Max Scherzer will receive $105 million total from the Nationals, and that'll be paid out through 2028. So while Bobby Bonilla is not alone in this uh, type of payout, his is certainly the most notable, and uh, I, would, I would say probably the, the sweetest deal out of them all um so again if you didn't know i'm here to inform you that while we're on summer break for two weeks 
on Random Thoughts and Best Regards, Bobby Bonilla Day took place on July 1st. Here's a bit of news I'd like to go ahead and pass along. Beloved animal advocate Jungle Jack Hanna will retire from the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium at the end of 2020. Hanna has called the zoo in Ohio home since 1978. The 73-year-old is largely responsible for elevating the Ohio Zoo's reputation, appearing on several television shows and being a regular guest on the late night circuit. In a statement, Hannah said, As I approach my mid-70s, with more than four decades at the Columbus Zoo, I believe it is time to wind down and officially step back. Together with many friends and partners, we've come a long way to make the world a better place for people and wildlife. While stepping down as director, Hannah maintains that he will always be the zoo's number one fan. Jungle Jack has authored 15 books, hosted several television series, and has been media's go-to wildlife correspondent, permeating into pop culture. So all of us here at Random Thoughts and Best Regards wish Jungle Jack a very happy retirement, and we thank him for all his work with wildlife and his work at the Columbus Zoo. While I myself have never had a chance to visit the Columbus Zoo yet, I know when my brother was living out there, my parents would go visit and often take my nephew to the Columbus Zoo, and they enjoyed it quite a bit. So I thank Jungle Jack for all his contributions, and I look back fondly on all his many late-night appearances. show today a jam-packed episode of random thoughts and best regards i want to thank you all for joining us today feels good to be back man like i said jam-packed episode hey we had two weeks to make up for uh that was a nice little two-week summer break we had on random thoughts and best regards but as you can see with today's episode man we hit the ground running lots of stuff before i get out of here i do want to tell uh, two quick uh stories, news bits, whatever, and more personal, personal life stuff. Um, but my son lost a tooth the other day. He lost one of his front teeth, so that was kind of cool. Uh, uh, that was fun. It was it was wiggling, 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 and finally it, it popped out. So uh, Jonas got the uh, bowl gap going in the front teeth now, and I've been telling him all little tricks that he can do, like put his straw in, drink his drink that way. And, and told him that the, the gap is big enough to drive a train through, uh, just, just having fun with him, but he was all excited, the tooth fairy came the other night, left him some cash, and uh, he was a happy little boy about that, he was also happy, I gotta tell you this story, because again, I, I know, if, if you've been listening to the show, I've, I've said it several times, but man, we got so lucky with my son's teacher this past year, and uh, the other day he said to me, you know, daddy, can we call my teacher? So I said, uh, sure, Jonah. I said, you know, let me let me text her and, and see what's going on, and maybe we can call her sometime this week. Um, now, to add on to that, I, I guess I should make it known that at the end of the year, 
his teacher said, if at any time the children miss her, want to reach out to her, talk to her, she's always available for them. So I reached out to Jonah's teacher and said, you know, uh, Jonah is missing you and he'd like to talk to you. Um, is there a time that's good this week? And he told me what day. So I said, okay, great. I said, you know, I will personally be at work that day, but I will have, you know, um, somebody will dial the number for Jonah and, and he'll call you. Um, and man, I gotta tell you, it is so sweet and so awesome and so amazing. Like I said, we are so lucky. That little stinker, my son, stayed on the phone with his teacher for almost 40 minutes. Um, and again, it's just so precious and I love it. And she's been such a great influence in his life. As I said before, I'm so thankful for her. But I mean, how cool is that? I mean, just the fact that she took that time out of her day um, to give to my son. Especially in, you know, the, the world's crazy right now. The world is, is such a crazy place right now. And uh, it just made my son so happy. Uh, and, and I just can't thank her enough. You know, my, my son's aware of things. Um, he's young, but he's aware. You know, obviously he's aware of, of what's going on with uh, COVID-19. He's aware of the social issues. Um, and, of course, he's got, he's got questions all the time that, you know, sometimes... I'm trying to field and, and, and it's not so easy but um, you know so for his teacher to, to kind of uh, take that time out of her day and spend like I said 40 minutes on the phone with my son uh, it just made him so happy and just made his day so I, I can't thank her enough for that that was just a, a really cool story and I just I thought it was funny that my son's just such a little social butterfly um, <laughs> you know <laughs> that at six years old he would stay on the phone and, and talk to his teacher for 40 minutes but he loves her so it it, it makes sense and, and I, we definitely appreciate having her um, so that's uh, really cool and I just wanted to share that with you um, other than that I guess we'll wrap it up and get out of here because like I said it's been a long show you do not I repeat do not want to miss next week's show something big is coming I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to ruin it for you. All I'm going to tell you is tune in to next week's episode. Because if you truly are a fan and you followed my work throughout the history of my career, you are not going to want to miss next week's show. And I'm just going to leave it right there. So again, it's great to be back. Had a nice little two-week break, but lots of work ahead. And trust me when I tell you, some great episodes of Random Thoughts and Best Regards are headed your way. In the meantime, you can check us out on our Facebook page. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Also, want to say, really cool. We have been picked up by Spotify and by Apple Podcasts now. So there are more places. Our audience is growing. uh, More places that this show can be listened to. And um, like I said, some really big episodes coming up. And next week you won't want to miss. So in the meantime, stay safe. Stay healthy. Thanks for listening to my dad's show.